Now the Bible reading today is from John chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go to, through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming where you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for this salvation is for the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is in spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Thanks, Adele. So that reading's in your leaflets. You can keep that in front of you. Well, welcome, in case you watch on Zoom and I've not introduced myself, I'm Colin, I'm the pastor. Welcome, good to have you with us this morning. And if you've made it to church or you've decided to listen to this, I reckon you don't need telling that Christmas is really all about Jesus. You probably worked that out by now. But Christmas, all this lead up to Christmas is a great time to stop and ask, well, why is Jesus being born such a big deal anyway? What's so good about him? that we make such a fuss every year. So for the next three Sundays, uh, we're going to look at three conversations that Jesus has recorded, uh, that we've got recorded for us in John's gospel. Conversations that reveal the gifts that Jesus brings, that show what's so good about him um, by, by him turning up in the world and how they're still worth making 
a big deal about today. And the great thing is because we find out about these gifts through conversations that Jesus has, they're easy to understand. With these chats that Jesus has with real people, uh, it shows us profound truths for the world, stuff about life, the universe, and everything, and yet which are individual, the personal for the person he's having this conversation with, one-on-one. The conversations in which we can hear what Jesus has got to say to the world and to the church and directly to our hearts about the gifts he brings. Uh, One time uh, years ago now, I was out with friends in town and we bumped into Mr. Maguire, my old history teacher. And he was with several other teachers, obviously on a works night out from, from the school that we all went to. Some I recognized, some were new, because this was sort of 15 years after we'd left school. And I was chatting to one of these teachers and reminiscing about different teachers. And I said, oh, was um, Ms. Book, the um, RE teacher, was she there when, um, whilst you've been there? She was my RE teacher. She was dead nice. We all liked her. Really good teacher. And this lady I was having this chat with, her face dropped. And it soon became apparent. Well, she said to me, I'm Miss Book. And we had this awkward moment where it soon became apparent that I didn't recognize her because she'd changed a fair bit. Um, I didn't realize who I was talking to. And the conversation that we had revealed that I didn't know who I was talking to. In today's passage, Jesus meets this Samaritan woman who doesn't realize who she's talking to or just how much he's offering her. And when she does realize, it changes her whole life. And it's a surprising conversation for Jesus to get into. And I reckon John's put this, um, the writer of this gospel, he's put this conversation near to the one that's just come before it in chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, we've just met Nicodemus. And he was a bloke, for starters. He was a Jewish bloke, respectable, morally upstanding, and a religious man. And now we meet this woman, she's a Samaritan, uh, so a race hated by the Jews. Uh, she's, uh, yeah, she's a woman. She's so disrespected that she has to go and collect her water alone in the heat of the day. And she's not morally upstanding. She's shacked up with a bloke. So each from opposite ends of the spe- social pecking order, each, I imagine, with their own idea about where they stand with God. And yet Jesus has just the gift that each of them need, a gift beyond all their expectations. So there's an outline in your leaflets there of where we're heading. A gift for whoever, a gift for wherever, and a gift for forever. So first, a gift for whoever. So as a Jewish man, to set the scene, is is in enemy territory. So Samaria was the, the northernmost part of what was formerly Israel, and it had been captured by the Assyrians who had deliberately moved in other nations and faiths to intermarry. And so for a big feature of Israel and their law was keeping separate from the nations around them. So the Jews still in the southern part of the kingdom, they saw the Samaritans as impure, that what a racist person would call half-breeds. And they weren't allowed to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. They were seen as unclean. 
So you notice verse 4, he says, he had to go through Samaria. Well, actually, if you look on a map, if you put it in Google Maps, where he was heading to Galilee, it wouldn't say, go to Jacob's well in Samaria. He was going quite a bit out of his way uh, to this well. Jacob's well is a key location in God's promised land. So why did he go there? Well, whatever the reason, Jesus is tired from the journey. Why doesn't he go with the disciples? who They've chuffed off into town to uh, go and find a cafe. Well, we'll come to that. Anyway, Jesus gets into this conversation with a lo- local Samaritan woman. And it's a surprising conversation in a surprising place. All right, say you've got to go some... It's your anniversary or something and you want to go somewhere really romantic. What kind of place do you think of? Maybe you could go to a vineyard in McLaren Vale. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? You go to Mount Lofty or somewhere with a nice lookout. What about a dusty old well? Is that romantic? Well, it kind of is in the Old Testament. So if you think of Abraham and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel, we looked at earlier this year, Moses and Zipporah, all those relationships had their origin stories around a well. So here's the typical, this is romantic drama, Old Testament style. Here's what happens. This will blow your socks off. Typically, a groom or his rep arrives in a foreign land, meets a woman at a well, chats her up about water, discusses water, which is then asked for or offered, and then the woman hurries off to report the stranger's arrival before the bridegroom is invited to the future father-in-law's home where betrothal is arranged over a meal. Violins play the screen goes hazy. How romantic is that? Isn't that lovely? All that sort of background is coming into play here when we, Jesus is talking to a woman at a, whale, at a well. Because also in the Old Testament, God's relationship with his chosen people, Israel, is described as like God being the groom and Israel being his bride. Sadly, an often adulterous bride, and they end up divorced. Israel going into exile. So Jesus' encounter here by a well is mirroring many of the details of this betrothal scene. And if you read John's gospel up to this point, the theme of Jesus being the bridegroom has been repeated. So Jesus, the bridegroom, come to win back his bride for himself, win back God's people. And the staggering thing here is his choice of bride. He's not gone and found a well-to-do Israelite woman in the southern kingdom but a Samaritan woman of ill repute. And this conversation shows Jesus' compassion, doesn't it? I mean, he's got some big things to say, but let's not miss that actually at the heart of it is his compassion for this individual woman reaching out to help her. You see, the reason she's collecting water alone in the heat of the day is because in a nation of outcasts, She's an outcast herself. We see in verses 17 and 18, Jesus knows that she's had five husbands and is currently living with a man she isn't married to. So she's, she's, the, she's like the woman, you know, if, say you're going on a work stew and the wife wants to go, oh, is that particular woman going? She's that woman, the one you're worried about being there. And in this, today's, this day and age, There'd be lots of consequences. Imagine living in a small town. Everyone knows everyone. Living with all the fallout and consequences of five. We don't know if they failed or they've just died, but five marriages. She'd probably have a lot of enemies. 
probably a bit isolated, gossiped about. And Jesus understood what it's like to be gossiped about. Part of the reason he's going to Galilee, as we saw in verse 1 to 3, is because the Pharisees are starting to listen to gossip about him. So maybe like this woman, you're living with consequences of sin this morning. Well, let's listen to Jesus' conversation. He doesn't come to you to treat you like an outcast. He comes to you to restore you and to give you life. Jesus doesn't give this lady a lecture. He actually kind of socially puts himself in her debt. Will you give me a drink? And she's really surprised. How can you ask me for a drink? Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus is using water and the life it brings as a picture for the spiritual life that he offers. Jesus is offering her something she probably thought was off the cards for her. Eternal life, being right with God. Verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Verse 13, anything else we try to find satisfaction in never quite does the job. It only gives temporary satisfaction. And like like having a Chinese meal, you're just really thirsty for ages afterwards. And that's because it it doesn't scratch our itch. We're made to be in good relationship with God. We're made to be living our lives with him and for him. But we've all in our own way sought fulfillment elsewhere, sought to live for other things, and they're never enough. In fact, they leave us feeling even more spiritually thirsty. But Jesus is offering to quench our spiritual thirst forever. And throughout the Bible, water is a picture of God's Holy Spirit that he promises to give us when we believe in and rely on Jesus. And he gives us every human's greatest need, forgiveness, restoring us back into right relationship with God. And not only that, he comes to live in us, giving us that new life starting right now with the promise that that life will keep welling up and bubbling up and springing up to eternal life. So Jesus doesn't condemn this woman in this conversation. He doesn't give her a list of things to go and do to make things right with God, a way to make amends. Because the important thing isn't who she is and what she can go and do. The important thing is who Jesus is and what he can give her. The same gift that he offers all of us, that free gift of forgiveness which means we can enjoy eternal life. Now, eternal life, that's kind of, I always worry about Christianese, you know, words that you just get used to saying and you actually don't stop and think, what does it actually mean? What's eternal life? Well, it's not just the nicest version of this life we can think of going on forever. 
It's much more, and it's certainly not about fat babies sitting on clouds playing harps. Who wants that? Now, it's much more than that. It's a life you would really want, a, really, a life you'd really hate to miss out on. This living water uh, picture, it's in lots of places in the Old Testament, but one Jesus might have had in mind is Isaiah 55, uh, verses 1 and 2. Got that? Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Sounds very much like the world's best, all-you-can-eat, all-inclusive buffet, doesn't it? Drinks, food, whatever you want. And the only things on the menu are things that satisfy. Experiencing only God's goodness, God's glory. It won't be boring because boredom won't exist. Anything bad or negative you can think of won't be part of it. Anything good you can think of only hints at the goodness and greatness of the eternal life Jesus is offering as a gift. But why do we need Jesus for all that? Well, verse 16, Jesus confronts this lady with her sin, but he does so gently to help her see her need for salvation. He doesn't condemn her, doesn't give her a lecture, doesn't treat her like an outcast. But he doesn't say how she's living is okay either. He's helping her to see that she needs to repent and believe. See, Jesus comes to win forgiveness for our sins. And if this lady deliberately continues in her lifestyle, she knows he's dishonoring God. Well, then that would be showing she doesn't want that life Jesus is offering. She doesn't really believe. And of course, all of us will keep sinning until Jesus returns. That doesn't stop us being Christian. It doesn't lose us our eternal life. But the trouble with a sexual sin like this woman's involved in is that it involves lifestyle, living arrangements. It involves setting up how you're faithful to God or to people you are day by day. Her sin is one which necessarily involves organizing her life in the opposite direction to the life Jesus is offering, in unbelief. And in the end, that's what sin is. It's unbelief. It's refusing to trust Jesus that he is better, that he can satisfy. That Samaritan woman, she could have taken the risk, couldn't she? She could have, re- she could have refused to take the risk and gone, rejected Jesus' offer and gone back to a sixth bloke. But would he offer what Jesus is offering? If you're stuck in a habitual sin, hear this. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Only he will satisfy. So whatever you're stuck in, give it up. Swallow your pride. Ask people for help and trust in Jesus. Jesus is better. Take Jesus at his word 
about his living water. Ask him to keep filling you up with the knowledge of what you already have, his spirit in you, his fullness. Well, this woman's whole framework for thinking about God and eternity, a framework which so far had left on the outside, all that's been challenged now by Jesus and his conversation. Now she sees that no one is too far gone. When Jesus says, whoever believes may have eternal life, he really does mean whoever. So she's trying to get her head around this. And I don't know if you notice this, when you start talking to people about your faith, people tend to revert to talking about church or their experience of it. I've been to this church when my auntie Ethel died or something like that. And she does the same thing. She reverts to the religious framework she knows, the headline being the Sumerians can't go to Jerusalem, so they go to their own spot that they've made near Jacob's well. So she's asking Jesus the question now, who's got the monopoly on truth? Who's got the right location for worshipping God, for being right with God? And Jesus' answer is that his gift is a gift for wherever, a gift for wherever our next heading wherever God is worshipped in spirit and truth. Now, worship in the Bible, another bit of Christianese for us, worship, that it means the idea of total surrender, of giving yourself completely in response to somebody's or someone's worth. Giving yourself in total surrender. Verse 19, the woman raises... um, she anticipates a problem. The Samaritans can't do pilgrimage to the temple because they're seen as unclean, so they set up their own place of worship. And she says to Jesus, you Jews say your Samaritans are getting it wrong, so how can you be offering eternal life? And Jesus does what's good for all of us to do when people throw out these sidebar, sidebar objections. He brings it back to Jesus. Jesus says, now I'm here. It's not about a mountain or a temple. Jesus says true worship is centered on a person, on him. See, long ago, this, is, this is, helps us understand Jesus' diversion to Samaria. Long ago, God had promised through his prophet Ezekiel to unite God's people. So Ezekiel 37, 22 I will make them one nation in the land. On the mountains of Israel, there'll be one king over all of them, and they will never again be be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses, for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. So this is why Jesus has taken this diversion. This is why... He saved this woman for her sake, yes, but also to show he's come to fulfill this promise of uniting God's people. Verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kinds of kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So God is spirit. God is everywhere. He knows everything. He knows our hearts. He knows what we're really thinking, wherever we are. And it's on those terms, those heart terms, that we must worship him, heart to heart, and able to do so by his spirit in us. 
So worship in spirit, but also in truth. That is, we must worship God as he has revealed, him, revealed himself to us, not worship a God of our own making. God has revealed himself to us in the truth of his word, in the Bible we've got now, and most clearly in the real historical person of Jesus. And as we read his word, as we get to know Jesus through his word, God helps us by his spirit to understand that truth so we're able to worship him as he wants for who he really is. And really the rest of life is getting our heads around who God really is as we find him in the Bible and giving him the worship that is due. So there's no need to go on pilgrimages. There's no particular places where God is more present. I'd, um, our church grow, where I grew up, I went back on holiday once, there was a bloke preaching there, that there are thin places in the world where the gap between us and God isn't as wide. Load of rubbish. Load of rubbish. There's no particular places where God is more present. God is with us by his spirit. Uh, it's Colossians 2.10, it? In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. We're full to the brim of God's spirit. Christ in us through his spirit. And this being full of Jesus through his spirit, this fullness, that will keep bubbling up. And it will keep overflowing into eternal life. Life after death. So for this woman Jesus is talking to, eternal life, that's her new starting point. She's not, she, she might have circumstances to sort out. But that's no longer defined. Her new starting point is she has eternal life, full of God's spirit. And that's our new starting point. However low we're brought, however far wrong we go, whatever else attempts to be what our life is all about, none of that can crowd out or redefine us. We're full to the brim, set in stone, as loved, redeemed forgiven, belonging to Jesus with eternal life. All that done for us by Jesus. Verse 26, Jesus tells us he's the Messiah. He's our saviour. So true worship isn't about being religious like Nicodemus was. It's not about getting right with God every Sunday. True worship is trusting Jesus has already got you right with God and thankfully glorifying him with our, lip, with our lives in response to that fact that he's already sorted us out. So God can't be confined to a nation. He can't be confined to a building or a Sunday morning. God is God of all of our life. And the best life there is, is surrendering all of who we are all of our life to him. So if, are you holding back any areas of your life from God? Are you trying to quarantine them? Well, you can't. God sees it all anyway. And you can trust him with all of your life. He wants the best for you. And only he can satisfy. Forever. Our last heading, a gift forever. So what does this lady do? Well, her response is to forget about herself, it seems, and just go and share the good news, to become a follower of a disciple of Jesus and invite others to check Jesus out for themselves. So this wasn't in the reading. I'll um, 
This is from the end of the chapter, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Because of her testimony about Jesus, and because of Jesus' own words, verse 41, many came to believe him. Verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the savior of the world. So a bunch of Samaritans, people the Jews thought abhorrent to God, the very last people Jesus' disciples were expecting. These Samaritans, they're amongst the first to enter God's kingdom through faith in his Savior, Jesus. And that's the invitation to all of us. Verse 41, because of Jesus' words, many more became believers. Could that happen here in Woodcroft? Could it happen over this Christmas? Many more became believers. Because Jesus is God's plan. And we're just joining in with him. The Samaritans were used to being told they were outside God's plans. They were outside God's ways. But Jesus overrides all that. Nothing can stop him calling whoever he will through his words. Those are the words we'll be offering out at Christmas. Uh, A good thing you can do, I mentioned this before, you can take one of these word one-to-one books and just offer, so you've got that with you, and offer to read the Bible with someone. Let Jesus do the talking. There's an app for it as well. You can download the whole thing on an app. We can trust that God will speak through his word to change lives. This Samaritan woman, we'd probably think she's, you know, she's on for a sixth bloke. She's not interested in God. We'll never reach her. We'd probably leave her out. Don't prejudge who might take you up on your offer. Don't assume someone won't respond to Jesus. Don't play God. Just offer Jesus and share and let God surprise you. So let me ask you, what conversation would you have with Jesus if you bumped into him at a well? Perhaps you are living with some big, tough consequences of sin and life is hard. And Jesus comes to us not happy with what we've done, but not lecturing, not condemning. Just calling us to turn from that and trust in him to satisfy us, to forgive us and give us eternal life. Maybe you've been holding out areas on God, trying to quarantine him from areas of your life. You can't. You just need to say to Jesus, this is yours. I trust you with this. For all of us, part of worshipping in spirit and truth is to get into conversations where we say, like the Samaritan woman, could this be the Messiah? Come and check out Jesus. And sometimes it feels impossible that our friends or family or people in these southern suburbs 
will come to believe in Jesus. But let's pray that they do, trusting God to do what only he can do, bringing many to say, verse 42. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for Jesus' compassion who comes to us uh, just offering gift, offering his eternal life, uh, if we just ask. Lord, like this one, please help us to testify about Jesus, to tell people what we know, point them to him in that they find him for themselves in your words in the Bible and through our testimony. We pray that especially over this Christmas period as we're at sort of heightened season of evangelism in our carols and our services and other things. We just want more and more to know your grace in Christ. Amen.